Well, before we begin our study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we begin our reading in the second book of Moses, which is known in English as Exodus. That's right, because it describes the Exodus out of Egypt. And it's known in Hebrew as Shmot, the names, uh, because it begins with a list of names. It, it seems like there's no connection between those two words, and that's because there's no connection between those two words. <laughs> so Exodus is not a translation of the word Shmot. And Shmot is not Hebrew for Exodus, but they are two good names for the same book. Well, I want to focus tonight on moral courage and faithfulness. And people who serve the Lord, even though it costs them personally, and even though it puts them at risk. When we think about moral courage, we can think about the courage to take action for moral reasons, despite the risk of adverse consequences, despite the risk to ourselves. And it's more than just being helpful to other people. It may cost us socially, it may cost our lives, in fact. And the, the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, opens with uh, a series of people who choose to be morally courageous. And it's worthwhile for us to take note of them. When I think about the attitude that such people have, they have to have an attitude of, of willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others. Many people will sacrifice if there's personal gain for them. They'll work hard. Why are there so many workaholics in America? Uh, for personal gain. And yes, the, our families can benefit from that, but this is, this is quite different. And it's also very different from taking a verbal position about something even if that verbal position may be unpopular. You know, it, it's, it's not the same kind of courage just to say an unpopular thing or a difficult thing. There is, there is more to moral courage that we're going to look at where we're doing something for the good of other people even though it costs us and puts us at risk. It requires moral courage. Now, as we're preparing to look at this, I want to share with you uh, something about God's perspective. And it's expressed in several places, but Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 is a very good uh, statement. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So this tells us something. God, God actually pays attention to people who have hearts to serve others and to serve him by serving other people. And then I love this other passage that, that speaks to this as well. It's from um, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord 
search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What that tells me is that God is looking from his place in the heavenly realm down to our place on the earth, and he's taking notice of everyone who has a heart to fully serve him, who's really committed to him, who wants to be faithful to him and to do what is good in God's eyes. And the scripture's interesting. Not only does he look, he's not only observing, he's not only taking notice, but he's strengthening those who he finds. So whenever you're making a hard decision, am I gonna be faithful to God or or remember this, our heavenly father is taking notice. And at that very moment of decision and implementation, the Lord will strengthen you. He will pour out his grace upon you. He will fortify you. He will renew you. He will help you rise above your fears, your concerns, your inadequacies, your emotions. He'll help you rise above the limits of your checkbook, your talent, your experience. And he will help you serve in a faithful way. Now, with that in mind, let's open up to um, Exodus. And we'll start reading in chapter 1. And I'll skip through the first few verses. But I want to point out that um, we meet again the character Joseph, whose life we read about for several weeks uh, earlier from the last chapters of the book of Genesis, Bereshit. And when I think about Joseph, I think about how he spent his life on other people for their good, even when it cost him something. He served the Egyptians. Without him, the Egyptians would have had no plan for a famine, and they, like others, would have run out of food, and it would have been starvation for them. He served his brothers and, his fam and their families, even though they were not kind. They were worse than not kind. They acted in an evil way towards them. But he served God, even though it cost him so much. Remember, he went to prison because he wouldn't give in to the seductions of Potiphar's wife. He chose moral courage in many different ways, and he is a major figure and think about what might have happened if he had not chosen to be morally courageous. Everything could have just fallen flat. Instead of God's plan unfolding, it could have collapsed and corrupted, and who knows what might have happened. Now, the second important figure that we read about is the new Pharaoh. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8. And it says that a new pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. It says there arose a new king over Egypt. He knew nothing about Joseph. Or another way of expressing it is he had no intimate knowledge. But there's another side to it. He may have known about Joseph, but he didn't recognize the value that Joseph had been to him and his people he didn't recognize that Joseph was an emissary from God who was serving the Lord and showing the mercy of God and the salvation of God to an undeserving nation. He 
really took no notice of Joseph, but he said to his people, this is verse 9, look, the descendants of Israel have become a people too numerous and powerful for us. Come, let's use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they will keep multiplying. And interesting thing, in the first few verses of chapter 1, it describes the multiplication of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. And it uses the verbs and words normally associated with how bugs multiply. And if you've ever had an infestation of something, uh, anybody familiar with infestations? It just seems they keep multiplying, right, until you can get rid of them. And so that description is being used about the children of Israel. And then we see why. It's because Pharaoh thinks of the children of Israel as vermin, as an infestation, and as a human danger to the future of the Egyptian people. Come, let's use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they'll continue to multiply. And in the event of war, they might ally themselves with our enemies, fight against us, and leave the land altogether. So in other words, we can't trust their allegiance. We can't trust that they will be faithful to us. Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built for Pharaoh the storage cities of Potom and Ramses. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and expanded until the Egyptians came to dread the people of Israel. And they worked them relentlessly, making their lives bitter with hard labor, digging clay, making bricks, all kinds of field work, and in all this toil, they were shown no mercy. So not only was it Pharaoh, but it was people who complied with Pharaoh's evil plan, if you will. Normal people who just said, you know, he's the king, he decides, we've got to do it. Imagine what might have happened if all those Egyptians stood up and said, Pharaoh, we can't do that. We cannot enslave this people. It's not right. It's wrong. Imagine at any time in history, if people of a dominant nation said that about those who had come to their country who had been enslaved, said, you know what? It's wrong. We're not going to do it. We're not going to participate in this. We're not going to make a rationale for it not an economic, not a racial, not a social, not even a military rationale. We're not going to do that. We're going to treat people in a different way than that. It can change history when that happens. Well, there is one group of people in Egypt who do have moral courage, and they are the midwives. And we read about them starting in verse 15. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was called Shifra and the other Puach. When you attend the Hebrew women and you see them giving birth, he said, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, you can let her live. However, the midwives were, let's see what your translation says. The midwives were 
God-fearing, God-fearing women. You see how history can be shaped by God-fearing women? That's, what, that's one of the messages here. God-fearing women can change the course of history. Guys, if you're married to a God-fearing woman, you should really be glad. We have to appreciate the courage of God-fearing women. The midwives were God-fearing women. Which raises the question, if you're not going to fear God, you're still going to fear somebody, right? You know what Dylan said. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And that, that is the way it is. You're going to end up fearing someone. You can fear mankind or you can fear the Lord. And this kind of fear is a healthy respect that goes to awe, that moves in the direction of awe, to have awe for God, for his goodness, for his um, truthfulness, for his mercy and his faithfulness. However, the midwives were God-fearing women, so they didn't do as the king of Egypt ordered, but they let the boys live. You know, this would be called civil disobedience today. Uh, it was. Then. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and demanded of them, why have you done this and let the boys live? Now, this is interesting. Because the king knew what they were doing. And he could have just killed them all and punished them all. But he said, why are you doing this? And they made up a reason. It's because the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They go into labor and they give birth before the midwife arrives. They have their babies too quick. And it says, therefore, God prospered the midwives and the people continued to multiply and grow very powerful. Indeed, because the midwives feared whom? God. They feared God. He made them founders of families. God took notice of them. Not only did he strengthen them, he used them to establish families that had a future, that had generations to come and that had significance and impact. It's telling us this without giving us all the details, but it's, it's underlining something so important. When you exercise moral courage and faithfulness with God, he takes notice of you. Not only does he strengthen you, he blesses you. And sometimes the blessing can be invisible to other people, but he gave these women generations. He gave them a future. Uh, some of us have women in our lineage who had moral courage. How many of you can think of a woman in your, in your family line who was courageous, who could stand up and, and do things with courage? And understand this, it's an it's a honor to have such a person in, in your ancestry. Because the midwives feared God, he made them founders of families. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born, throw in the river. You can let the girls live. But the midwives remained God-fearers. Now this also reminds us of something. 
moral courage is necessary when you're in a situation that requires a moral choice, but it could put your own life at risk. So if, if you ask people a simple question, how many people would like to go to heaven? Yeah. And how many people would not like to burn in hell forever? Yeah, I don't want to burn in hell forever. Easy, easy thing to raise our hands to, right? And if you simply frame things like, how many would want to do what's good in God's eyes? Yeah, okay. Okay, how many are willing? This is not for us to respond to. It's for us to think about. How many are willing to give up all the rationale, all the rationalization that explains why we shouldn't be morally courageous, why we should just give in to other, uh, other forces that are at work to do something, either by being passive or active in participating, to do evil towards others? But none of us would want to say, well, I, yeah, I'm kind of weak. I'd prefer just to give in and give up. No, we're not going to say that. But when we're presented with moral choices, we may not even recognize that we go in that direction, that we have a reluctance to do what would cost us so much if it's for the good of others and not for ourselves. But these midwives didn't think like that. In fact, they didn't say, you know what? It wouldn't be good for our families if we do this. God said, you know what? Because you thought like that, I'll give you families. And you'll be like the matriarch from whom the whole family comes. Good for you. So it's a way of encouraging us about the future and how God views things. Now, there are, there's another set of people, a husband and a wife, in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. They're both Levites, and they refuse to give in or give up. Let's read about them. Um, chapter 2 of Exodus, a man from the family of Levi, Levi, took a woman also descended from Levi as his wife. When she, I like to say this is the first mention of a pair of Levi's. right. Verse 2. When she conceived and had a son, upon seeing what a fine child he was, she hid him for three months. Because remember, there is an edict, kill all the boys. When she could no longer hide him, she took a papyrus basket, coated it with clay and tar, put the child in it, and placed the basket among the reeds on the river bank. Now, this is interesting because remember the specific words of Pharaoh to the midwives? When a boy is born, throw him into the river. Let him drown and die. What these two parents did was they hid the child. They protected him. And then there was a certain moment when they put him in a basket in the river, but they didn't throw him into the river. And they were trusting. I would have to say they must have had fellowship with the Lord. This is my 
uh, amplification. They must have been fellowshipping with the Lord to have moral courage. Because remember what the scripture said? That, that the eyes of the Lord are searching all over the world, looking for those who are fully committed to him, to strengthen them, right? So people who <clears throat> have decided, I'm going to be faithful to God, even if it puts me at risk, they get God's attention. <clears throat> and when they do, God takes notice of them and fortifies them and strengthens them. And this explains why some people feel like they weren't being heroic, they were just being faithful. They didn't have some superhero complex about being brave, but rather because of the fellowship they had with the Lord, he was strengthening them as they were deciding to do good. <coughs> they were able to hold on to that and persevere. I think that's what was happening with uh, this husband and wife. They're fellowshipping with the Lord, and instead of just being filled with anxiety or hopelessness, they're saying, Lord, we're going to do everything we can. What's next? And after the three months rolls around, the Lord gives them, like, inspiration. They have this idea. It doesn't attribute it to the Lord, but I'm giving the Lord credit for it. And they think, well, we'll put him in a basket and float him out. And conveniently, it's in the direction of Pharaoh's daughter. But now they're trusting the Lord for something else. You know what that is? For Pharaoh's daughter to be merciful, even though her father is not a man of mercy. Remember how he was described? And the, the slave masters were described? They had no mercy. When she could no longer hide the child, she put a papyrus basket, coated it with clay and tar, and put the child in and placed it among the reeds on the riverbank. And the baby's sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And as you hopefully are familiar with this story, you know that Pharaoh's daughter took notice of her and thus begins a rescue at that point. Very important. So these two Levites, husband and wife, have moral courage. Now, the baby who's put in this basket, this baby who grows up in the household of Pharaoh, also becomes a man of moral courage. And he ends up, if you, if you know the story, he ends up um, trying to rescue a Jewish slave who's being mistreated by a slave master and it ends up resulting in the slave master's death. And rather than Moses being viewed as like a protector, he's viewed as uh, a danger. And Moses escapes. He goes far, far away into the desert, and he begins a new life as a shepherd, taking care of sheep out in, uh, in the wilderness area. And then, while he's had a successful career, he's had a good sheep ministry for some 40 years. He's done well in that regard. Um, that's the moment when he's probably thinking it'd probably be good to retire and let the kids take care of the sheep. And the Lord says, yeah, you can finish now taking care of these sheep. I've got another flock in mind. And the Lord tells Moses it's time to go back to Egypt, and Moses needs moral courage to do it. 
and against that moral courage are all the uh, things that we read about that Moses tells God uh, about himself. He says, you know, I'm not a good speaker. That's one thing. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not persuasive. I'm, and the Lord says, yeah, you're not persuading me. <laughs> this is not going to work. I, I'm not the guy who wants to do this. And the Lord says, yeah, I know. I don't think I can do it. Yeah, so what? You still need to go and I'll help you. So Moses, with all of his reluctance and all of his sense of inadequacy, has to summon moral courage. But as he's doing that, as he's expressing himself to the Lord honestly, the Lord is saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You still have to do it. And the Lord strengthens Moses, and Moses goes as we read um, in chapter 5. Let's turn there to the first couple verses. After all that, Moses and Aaron came and they said to Pharaoh, here is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they can celebrate in the desert and honor me. And Pharaoh replied, who is Adonai that I should obey what he says to let Israel go? I don't know Adonai and I also won't let Israel go. Not exactly what Moses had in mind. It took and continued to take moral courage for Moses to keep doing what God told him to do. And who would be the beneficiary? Not Moses, but the children of Israel. Who also would be the beneficiary? The Lord. Because the Lord cares about those he's trying to save. The Lord does not delight in anyone perishing. He wants to rescue. And so he's using Moses to do it. And whenever um, Moses faces critical moments, he, he really presses into God and says, God, if you don't go with me, I can't do this. If you are not here, I can't do this. And the Lord says, I am with you. And I will stay with you, and I'll bring you all the way back to the mountain where you first met me. And he continues in it. Now let's look at the commentary on Moses that's found in the letter to the Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 23. It says, by faith. Say that with me, by faith. Another way of saying that is, by trusting God and being faithful to what God said. Moses' parents hid him for three months after his birth. By faith. Say that with me. By faith. They were responding to God's initiative. Because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were unafraid of the king's edict. Do you see how fearing God and wanting to do what he wants can set you free from certain kinds of fear. They weren't afraid of what would happen because if they obeyed the edict of Pharaoh, they knew what would happen. Their son would be dead. That's what would happen. Verse 24, by faith. Say that with me. By faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer oppression with God's people rather than to experience the fleeting enjoyment of sin. He valued disgrace for Messiah above the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to his reward. You know, that's an interesting idea. It's, it's as if the writer of Hebrews is saying, Moses saw something about Messiah that long before. And it motivated him. It empowered him. It caused him to see things are going to happen in the future that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of what Messiah is doing. And he took on the heart of Messiah. He took on the faithfulness of Messiah in this way. He didn't just do what was good for him. He laid down his comforts. He put himself at risk and even harm. He faced death even for the good of others in service to God. Now think of this. Because of all these people, Joseph, because of the midwives, because of that couple, the pair of Levi's, because of those who were faithful, God's covenant with Israel and his plans for the world moved forward rather than stalling or getting snuffed out. Because of their faithfulness, Israel continued, and Israel would be given to Ra and the call to be a community of faith. And because of their faithfulness, the foundation is laid for Israel to become a light for the whole world and to bring forth Messiah for the salvation of mankind. And think about how history would have been different without their faithfulness if they'd not had moral courage, if they'd not sacrificed in service to God even when it cost them so much. It's important to remember that, that your faithfulness and your sacrifice in service to others and to God can bring forth great fruit and God will support you when you are exercising moral courage as part of your faith in God. When God calls you to do something for his sake and the sake of others, even though it costs you and puts you at risk, he will fortify you and he will reward you. With that in mind, we'll close once again with First, as we looked at at the beginning, Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of God are looking everywhere. Not at the outside, but at the inside, looking to the hearts of those who are fully committed. And he says, oh, you know, that one needs a little bit of courage right now to go with what they've got. And he pours it out. That one needs my help. I'm going to strengthen them. That one's wavering just a little bit. I'm going to help her. That one isn't certain. I'm going to fortify him because they're committed to me. They want to do what is good and right. In Hebrews 6.10, once again, God is not unjust. He will not forget. Say that with me. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Even if it costs you, 
He won't forget. He's not forgetting. He's not unmindful. He takes note. And he's not unjust. He keeps track. It's like, you know, that one really paid a price. At just the right time, I've got something special for her, for him. It's not that you earn God's favor. It's that he's just. And he remembers. And he takes notice. It's like, this one I'm going to help. I'm really going to help them when they need it most. Well, I want to encourage you as you're preparing for year 2019, and as we're finishing up 2018, 20 high, remember this, moral courage is one of the things that God values the most. And as we're reading in the book of Exodus and the rest of Torah, in 2019, take notice of those who have moral courage and how they please God and how God uses them. And, and if you resonate with what you read about, if it touches your heart and you say, that's the kind of person I want to be, simply express that to the Lord and say, Lord, could you help me become that person? It won't be easy, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that every word that proceeds from your mouth is true, and that none of it turns back unfulfilled. We thank you that you're not uh, a man who would just lie. You are true. Your word is true. And we pray, Lord, that we ourselves could be fortified in you and that we could take on the courage that you have and that those who have served you for all these millennia have had, that we could be men and women of moral courage, that we could be men and women of faith, that we could get your attention because our hearts are fully committed to you. And we know this, Lord, when we feel weak, you're still looking for us to fortify us. Pour out your Holy Spirit so that the power of your spirit and not just the, the, the weakness of our flesh might have the final word. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And I want to ask you to stand. And if you're by yourself, just move over a little bit so that you're not all alone. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom and Happy New Year.